Hello, and welcome to Baker McKenzie's Resilience, Recovery, and Renewal podcast series, dedicated to helping your organization navigate the full continuum of the COVID-19 pandemic and beyond. Whether you're managing the immediate crisis, stabilizing operations, or evolving your business, this podcast will cover key insights to help strengthen your organization's capacity to respond, recover, and thrive. My name is Jennifer Northam, and I've spent over 20 years as a producer and journalist covering international business issues for leading news organizations. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the return to the workplace. It's an anxious time for many of us, employers and employees alike. As lockdown restrictions around the world slowly begin to ease, all eyes are on countries that are slightly ahead of the curve. What can we learn from those who are one step ahead? And what are the practical and legal implications we need to be aware of as we gradually reopen for business? Today, I'm joined by Susan Yandy, head of Baker McKenzie's Global Employment and Labor Law Practice Group for North America. Also joining me is Kim Sarton, partner in Baker McKenzie's Employment and Compensation Team in London. And just so you know, we're recording this podcast from our homes in light of COVID-19 social distancing rules. Susan, let's start with you. It's been an unsettling time for all of us. And, you know, one of the reasons I was so pleased to get involved with the podcast series is that I think that sharing knowledge is really a great way to offer reassurance to people. I mean, how important do you think that's going to be in the days and even the months ahead? So, Jen, I think that's a great question. It's imperative in these times to be consistently sharing knowledge best practices, planning, even if, and very importantly, this is a hard thing oftentimes for companies to do, for lawyers to do, but to share what you may not know, what you might be predicting, where you or your company are in this moment in time in terms of your planning, as opposed to feeling like you need to have the answer before you're communicating with your employees, with your customers, frankly, with your colleagues and friends. One thing that I've learned, and I think as a firm, we've learned through this entire process is there is some collegiality and collaboration and humanization that's coming out of this pandemic that we're living through together, whether it's with each other, with our families, with our friends, with our clients, and in the space that Kim and I work in with our um, clients and their employees in particular. And that has really, for many, many companies, Um, paid off great dividends because the more they share and the more they say, we know this is happening, we know you are reading things as quickly or maybe even more quickly than we are and here's what we're trying to do about it and what do you think, how do you feel and then using that information, that has been an amazing thing to watch. Right. So I think that's probably one of the many positives that have that have come out of this crisis really is is that communication and continuing that communication as we move forward. Um, What are your thoughts about what's happening in the United States right now? Do you think, you know, as we slowly move towards going back to work, are companies ready to get their people back to work safely? And, And is that communication happening? It's interesting. And, and, you know, obviously, the United States is a large place, um, both geographically, politically, um, and about every other spectrum. And I think what we're seeing across the United States right now, when it comes to companies and their workforce in particular, is a real pent up energy to get back to work. We want to get back. Work from home um, has been fine for some, obviously not for others. The unemployment rate in in, uh, the United States is higher than it's been since 
the Great Recession. And so there was really this pent up anxiety and energy to get moving. It's a really interesting time for companies and employers in particular to want to encourage their workforce. Um, obviously, it's good for business. It's also good for mental health to have a place to go, to have something to do. But at the same time, recognizing that there really there is really still quite a concern around health and safety. And that really is the number one priority for companies right now in the United States. So it is challenging times. And what about the employees? I mean, what what have their main concerns been? Yeah, I mean, we you know we've seen in talking with clients and actually doing our own internal surveys across uh, Baker, not just in North America but in Europe as well as Kim can probably speak to. Um, the concerns are primarily around health and safety, both their own and and for their family and and loved ones should they come back home and and perhaps make them ill. And interestingly, or maybe not so much, it may be very self-evident, the commute, getting to work and getting home from work and how do you deal with those issues and what's going to be the process, what are you going to do? And then on the other hand, of course, there's a great concern around being able to continue to be effective. We've certainly seen, and there's some reports and studies on this, around productivity and like increased productivity in some sectors for some jobs for people working from home, but it all depends on what your circumstances are. And for many people, particularly with young children, spouses, partners that are also working, it's extremely challenging to continue to work from home. And Kim, is that the, do you agree, is that the feeling in Europe and potentially Asia as well? I mean, are, what are the concerns of employees? Is it travel? Is it health and safety? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a real mixed bag, as Susan said. So I think that there is a big piece about traveling to work. So the commute of itself, you know, leaving aside getting to the office and what it looks like when you get to the office, actually getting to the office in the first place, I think people are very anxious about. And the rules across the region, across EMEA, and in fact, globally are very different about, you know, who, you know, who can go on public transport? When can they go on public transport? Is there social distancing on public transport? Is there a need to wear a mask on public transport? If so, who has to provide that mask? Is it actually the employer that has to provide that mask? So actually, there's a real anxiety around that. In addition to the commute as well, I mean, Susan picked up already about childcare issues, particularly in EMEA. We've got lots of jurisdictions where schools are not going back anytime soon. And some countries where schools are starting to go back, but then actually there's been spikes again as schools are shutting down again. Um, And so for people who, even if they want to get back, actually, they might not be able to just because the childcare is not there. And as Susan said, a lot of our clients have been doing surveys. And I think that the real mixed bag is borne out in those surveys, because there's obviously a cross section of the population who are really keen to get back because they want to be back to normality and they want to see people and interact with people. And then there's a big group as well who are very anxious or have got issues about childcare or family members um, or people who they're living in their household who are vulnerable, whether because of health condition or they're pregnant or something else. And so it's a real difficult tightrope, I think, for employers to be able to, to navigate. And how are they navigating this? I mean, do employers really understand the challenge of these different groups of people and their needs? And, and what are they doing? Do you have any examples of what they're doing to maybe to address some of these concerns? So I I think people are only just about, you know, certainly in EMEA, having to address these concerns. Asia Pacific is a bit ahead of us. And I think, you know, if you're thinking about the challenges that people are facing, you know, there are their anxieties and people saying, 
I'm not sure that I'm ready to come back to work, even if you want me to, then there's almost like a legal answer to that question about how do you get them back? And then there's a practical answer to that question. And the legal answer to the question is, well, you know, generally across the world, an employer can make a reasonable instruction for you to come in. Um, and so if, if they wanted to, they could do that. And then if you didn't, there's obviously steps that they could take. But then there's a real practical answer to this, which is actually in those situations, aren't you wanting to be engaging with your workforce and understanding what their concerns are and understanding, well, is there an alternative? Can they continue to work remotely if they can't full time? Can they do it part time because they've got childcare responsibilities? Because there's a really big PR overlay to this as well, because the eyes of the media are really on companies at the moment to understand what they're doing with their people. Is it a different mindset from an HR perspective? Does HR and other areas of the business really need to reevaluate the workforce and mitigate those concerns, whether it's health and safety, whether it's wellness or anxiety or compensation and staggered starts? Is this a complete mind shift change? I think lots of it is what organisations were doing well to a large extent before. So, you know, communication is key. As Susan said right at the beginning, you know, speaking to your people, understanding what their concerns are actually can go a long way to addressing those concerns in the first place. So I think that actually that's something that HR teams and organisations have been doing well. And it's just something that they can be doing more of and probably need to do more of in, in these times. Yeah, and I was just going to mention that this is not a one-and-done situation. So what many HR organizations had to come with to grips with early on is that this is going to be iterative. You know, we all look back in our toolbox and past experiences to figure out how do you address the problem that you're faced with right now. And what many companies did, whether it was in-house counsel, compliance folks, HR folks, facilities, whomever, is they looked back and they said, well, what did we do before? What did we do with SARS? What did we do with MERS? What did we do with all of these various pandemics? And they kind of pulled out their toolkit and they pulled out their pandemic response forms. We did the same thing and we said, okay, here we go. Now let's let's think about it. And I think what has become very, very clear over time, and, and it was a very short amount of time, is that this is going to iterate. And as we look at other countries and other parts of the world that have in fact reopened and seen spikes, what's challenging and what's different for companies and HR folks now is to realize this is a change in mindset because this is going to change how people work going forward, I think, for a very long time. And that's just a smart way to think about it. And what we've seen come out of that change in mindset right now, particularly in the United States and particularly in tech, um, is a decision, as you know, for many companies to say, we're going to remote work forever. If you want, if you want to work remotely, fine. Now that's creating a huge ripple effect because then again, in certain industries like tech, you have companies saying, well, what is that going to look like? If people can be as productive from home as they've been when they were coming into work, and if that alleviates health concerns, commute concerns, childcare issues, you know, whatever it might be, we want to allow our employees to do that because we think that's going to give us a competitive advantage. Kim, I think one of the things to consider is kind of, is the unequal treatments of employees going forward. Because this mindset is shifting, because the way of working is shifting, are there concerns maybe over unequal treatment as we shift to a environment where some people go back to the office and do work in the office while others continue to work from home for whatever reasons? What does that throw up as far as challenges? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a really good point, actually. And I think people are only starting to think about this now. So if it's the case that we're going to have a much greater proportion of our workforce who are going to be working remotely, then there's questions about, okay, well, how do we assess performance of those people? Actually, is it going to be more difficult to assess their performance? Do we need to actually adjust the way in which we assess performance? Is it the case that those in the office who are putting in the FaceTime are actually those who are getting being graded higher on their annual evaluations? So Susan's already talked about that with, you know, lots of organisations now giving people an opt-in. I'd be really interested to see actually what the demographic breakdown of those opt-ins would be. Because actually, if you find out that you have got a higher proportion of your female staff opting to work from home, then what does that mean for your stats in terms of annual evaluations? And then even thinking further ahead, you know, what does that feed into your gender pay or your pay equity figures, particularly if you're offering different packages for people working remotely to those working in the office? And so there could be some sort of hidden you know, issues lurking under rocks somewhere that you just need to think about quite carefully, I think. Let's turn to some countries that are ahead of the curve. I mean, can, we've seen, obviously, a phasing back to work in Asia, and and Europe and what are tangible learnings and takeaways that that other countries can learn from? I mean I think one big takeaway um, from Asia Pacific actually is perhaps not in terms of the mechanics about how you get people back into the office but there's a big mental health piece I think um, particularly with those who have been in lockdown for a long time and getting people back or who may not be able to get back as quickly as they would like And I think that organisations are starting to wake up to that more across EMEA as, you know, the lockdowns lasted for several weeks in a number of jurisdictions. And I think that's something that came from Asia Pacific when, you know, in Hong Kong and China with the long lockdowns and they started to realise that actually people were really suffering. You know, they might be in a flat by themselves and have limited person to person interaction and we need to be supporting those people as much as the people who've got childcare constraints or caring constraints as well. So I think that's actually sort of one of the the softer learnings, not necessarily in the mechanics of getting people back to work, but just on a human level, being very much aware that actually people do need this additional support. Susan, do you have anything to add on that? I'd agree. And I think also the concept of testing, of contact tracing, um, those all really started developing in APAC jurisdictions that were ahead. Um, So even though the technology has now taken off globally and a lot of it emanating um, from Silicon Valley in particular, the concept of how do we actually engage in contact tracing? Can we do it? How would it work? Is it on your phone? Is it an app? Does your employer give it to you, et cetera? That's all emanating initially, I'd say, out of APAC. And now clearly the rest of the world is trying to get ahead of that and plan for it. And Susan, that's a great segue to my next question I had for you is, Can you tell us what the U.S. is doing now to provide that balance between getting people back to work and maintaining that safe workplace environment? What are some of the steps that are being put in place? Sure. So in the U.S., we have like a set of of guidelines, if you will, that we can look to. I mean, the first is the White House did promulgate some guidelines called Opening Up America Again. These are just guidelines. It's not law, but it's a place to start. So for companies, that's kind of your starting point. What's then happening actually is looking at um, the state 
shelter in place orders, which are being lifted. Um, there are some states who never adopted a shelter in place order, very few of them in, in the United States. But in most other states, there is now a phased approach to allowing businesses to reopen, allowing people to get back into the world, if you will. The challenge in the United States is in addition to these state orders, um, there are also local, county, and municipal orders. So for employers, it's it's actually very challenging to keep up with which order is going to apply to me. Um, and the short answer is it's really going to be starting with your state orders, then looking at your county and municipal orders. And provided that the county and municipal orders are not contrary, um, they may be a little bit more stringent than you would comply with those local orders. And so that's what's happening. What we've been recommending to clients to do is to keep on top of those things. And we do have trackers and tools to help our clients do that, including a free 50 state tracker that's available on our website that's updated weekly and you can check and see, okay, what's happening in my state? Can I open? Can I not? Which phase are we in? But in addition, it's really important to have local folks on the ground in the municipalities that are really helping companies to pay attention, particularly as people are working from home. And Kim, even across EMEA, government guidelines, they change quickly. What is the best way for companies to keep up with these changes? That is a really good question. You are right, they are changing all the time. In the UK, for example, we're getting updates from questions that people are raising in the government response on Twitter. And so, you know, there is the formal decrees that are issued in lots of jurisdictions, and then there are revised decrees, and then there are guidelines, and then it seems to be that you can always get the answer on Twitter. So it is really hard, It is the honest truth, because these things are changing all the time, Um, There's a lot of uncertainty. And so for multinational employers operating lots of different jurisdictions, there's quite a lot of man hours that they have to put on this to make sure that they are keeping up to date on the latest and greatest, monitoring their Twitter feeds at the same time, to make sure that they are keeping track of exactly what is required of them, just so that they don't trip up on anything later on down the line. One of the resources that we've put together for clients, and it's accessible on our website, is um, a Global Employer Reopening Playbook. And that pulls together all the alerts that we're producing around the world when rules change or guidelines change. And I'd add, in addition to that, in different geographies and countries around the world, we're also producing webinars if you prefer to get your information that way, whether Zoom or otherwise, and also just short video casts um, on key topics that are trending at that moment in time in that particular country, which you know is just another way to quickly get information that might be a little bit more reliable than Twitter. <laughs> Let's get back to the issue of productivity. We touched on it a bit, but in the past, many companies may have frowned upon their employees working from home because productivity was a big concern. Is this still a concern or has this changed since the pandemic? You know, it's it's interesting. And Kim and I, we were talking about this earlier in terms of what we're hearing from our clients, right? So Kim, you had some input, I think. Yeah, it was just a, an interesting observation, actually, that a number of clients have said, which is, in fact, that productivity hasn't gone down, which is a good thing. So, you know, we can trust our employees. They're working remotely and we can still trust them. And in fact, there's a point actually that, in fact, people are working longer hours. And we've noticed it, perhaps it's to fit around childcare or another partner's working in the house and you, people are having to send emails or be online at different points. But I think there is that, that issue that the laptop is there and it's always there. And so there's, there's even a concern that actually people are working longer hours 
um, than they perhaps would have done before. And do you agree with that, Susan? Is that happening in the US as well? Yeah, exactly. And and I think everyone's eager to be able to maybe look back on the prior quarter at data as that evolves to take a look at that level of productivity, because certainly when this all started and the shutdown began, um, clients who are in businesses where people can work from home were, I would say, for the most part, anticipating that productivity would not go down and that it would, in fact, be kind of at least on similar levels as it had been before. I get the feeling in talking with clients and and again, looking at ourselves and how we're working, there's certainly a lot of work being done and it does seem that people are very productive. But by the same token, I completely agree with Kim. There's starting to be a concern that's bubbling up and and getting louder and louder about whether or not that's that's healthy (laughs) at the end of the day. What about some other legal issues in regards to, say, maybe employees not wanting to return to work? What's the future of litigation look like when it comes to some of these issues? Well, interestingly, um, in the United States, there are already a number of class actions that have been filed. We're tracking them again um, and keeping our clients informed. They're primarily focused around accusations or claims that companies did not provide a safe workplace initially, and therefore the workers did contract um, COVID-19. They're also, um, so of course, because it has to be for a prior act, but looking at the fact that there are so many of these class actions being filed right now across the United States, both against um, public governments and against private employers, I think we can assume that there's going to be, at least in the U.S., a, a real focus by plaintiff's attorneys in particular on how employers are, in fact, dealing with their employees, both from a health and safety issue, but also wage and hour. So as Kim alluded to, um, working time issues, overtime issues, meal and rest breaks, all of these things that in the United States are highly litigated to begin with. There's just sort of like a whole new greenfield as employees have been working from home as they return to work. And Kim, are there similar concerns in EMEA and Asia? Yes, I mean, probably not so much in the context of class actions, um, or certainly we're not hearing that so much as yet um, across EMEA. I mean, there is a concern that obviously employees might be able to bring claims for health and safety breaches or personal injury if they can say, well, actually, my employer failed to provide a safe workplace for me. And as a result, I've got COVID um, and this caused, caused me losses. So there is a risk out there. Also, particularly in Asia, but also in EMEA, Lots of jurisdictions have sort of labour inspectors. So an employee can complain to a labour inspector who is suddenly then going to come and investigate you. So there's a sort of regulatory risk there as well, not just, you know, the risk of employee claims. And there's also a discrimination risk overlay as well, particularly if people are unable to come to work because they've got caring responsibilities, say, or they're saying, actually, I'm not able to come to work at the moment because I've got a disability and they're penalised for that or they perceive that they're penalised for that. Then you can see someone bringing the you know, disability discrimination claim or something like that into the mix as well. And finally, I just want to throw this question out to both of you. Do you ever think we'll return to business as usual? Is there such a thing as business as usual? <laughs> we, we can see each other and we're both shaking <laughs> our heads. Um, I'd say no. I, I, I mean, I think that the way that um, workforces will be managed and maintained has changed 
um, and will not go back to exactly the way that it was before. Whether you think of that as business as usual or the next normal or the new normal or forget normal, we're doing something totally different. I think the point is people are going to have some muscle memory of having lived through, again, this pandemic. And it's likely going to kind of be this iterative situation that I mentioned before with with ebbs and flows and spikes and different things like that. So it will just change I think how companies um, approach their workforce, how they manage their workforce, how they think through being flexible and nimble and maybe some of the options that they make available for their employers. So I think we'll be feeling this or their employees, sorry, I think we'll be feeling this for quite a long time. And it really does mean that companies will need to revisit, I think, a lot of the things that are pretty standard in their organization and just think about them a little bit differently. And the companies that are able to do that are going to be able to react more quickly as things change. And frankly, they ultimately might be a more attractive employer for employees as well as we look to attract and retain folks. I mean, I've been nodding throughout that, although you can't, <laughs> you can't see that on this podcast. I agree with Susan. I just don't think there's going to be um, business as usual as we have known it in the past. And actually, you know, from the lockdown and people working remotely, in fact, there's been quite a lot of good things, good news stories from this. You know, I'm just thinking about the greater democratisation of conference calls. And we spend, as lawyers, quite a lot of time on conference calls. And it's normally only a limited number of people that will put up their hand and speak. But actually, you know, with chat functionalities, you get much richer input from a wide variety of people. And I think that collaboration and the the greater use of collaboration tools is a a big win. And there's also a great humanising element of it as well. We've spoken already about people having caring responsibilities and I feel as though I know my co-workers much better now that I have seen their children and met their dogs and so as I say there's there's been some real positives in terms of you know building team spirit for those organizations that can harness that I think that's a real advantage there's my dog (laughs) (laughs) he's brilliant very smart (laughs) that was on cue well, I think that's a good, that's a great ending, actually. And I also think we need a part two. I think we need to revisit this maybe six months down the line and, and see where we've, where we've come. You know, how far have we come and, and, and what does this picture look like now? Thank you both so much for your time. It was a really great chat. No, thank you. Thank you. For those of you listening, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to send any comments or questions to 3rpodcast at bakermckenzie.com. That's the number three, the letter R, podcast at bakermckenzie.com. Or you can contact us through the Baker McKenzie social media accounts. Use the hashtag resilience, recovery, renewal. More information on this topic is also available on our website at bakermckenzie.com forward slash reopening.